Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. With Ill Tone today on episode 20. Oh my gosh, am I on 203? Oh my gosh, 203, I think. 203. Oh yeah. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. It's so much. I can't believe it. It's so much. It's crazy, crazy. You know, I never thought I would have this right now, Ill. It's, um, I like, I'm calling you Ill, like it's your first name. I know it's not your God given. I mean, it wasn't what your parents named you, was Ill Tone, right? It's all good. You can call me whatever you want. I'm actually, I, I was born Chris. Uh, my last name is Hamilton, but the, uh, the stage name Ill Tone developed over the years. So I actually used to have a way worse stage name, uh, but since my last name is Hamilton, uh, one of my close friends who I used to rhyme with actually uh, just started saying Hamilton, and then it uh, we chopped the ham and uh, just went with the ill tone. So I uh, now today I uh, rhyme by the name of Ill Tone, and that's how that came to be. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. We love to always hear how everybody comes up with their names. It's like busy. I came up with busy. My brother came up with it actually. He could never pronounce Elizabeth, so that's how it became busy, and then busy living sober. But enough about me and tell us about you. So big changes happened in your life about May of 2018, 2019? Absolutely. So unfortunately, um, the, uh, the story of my addiction came to a close uh, by uh, my, me getting arrested uh, for some things that, uh, that you know, uh, the police perceived uh, me to have done um, in May of last year. And uh, I wound up in jail and I, every part of me wanted to go back out and do the same things I was doing prior to my arrest. I was scheming on a way to uh, get into a recovery house where I would have some freedom to go out and use. And um, I just wasn't going to make the changes that I needed to make in order to be successful in my life. And uh, it, came, it came to me um, just suddenly that my parents and my family and my lawyer and all these people were sticking their neck out for me. Uh, my mother was signing on as my surety for, uh, you know, to uh, get me out on bail. Uh, my uh, father was paying my legal fees. My lawyer was, you know, very attentive and helpful. Um, and it's, it dawned on me, how am I going to put these people through another relapse, you know? Um, that's that addict mind uh, going, you know, spinning around on the next... Um, you know, stint of, uh, of absurd behavior. And um, I just decided that I couldn't do it again. And so I know that uh, we have to, in the end, uh, work on a recovery for ourselves, but uh, it had to be other people who I was doing it for at first until I decided that, you know, this was a better life. Um, when I was in my early days, my first 30 days of uh, recovery, sobriety, um, it had to be for other people, the people that were helping me uh, get out of, out of jail. So that's, uh, that's why I'm out right now. And that's why I'm clean is because uh, once I did uh, start living that recovery life, uh, I did realize that it was, it was much, much better than being out in the streets and uh, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But it's interesting because so it, prior to this time, had you tried to get sober before? I have been through treatment uh, a few times. So I, this, this time, this current time, um, I've got about 17 uh, months under my belt right now, but I, I was released on bail. Thank you very much. I was released on bail to a uh, treatment facility here in Nanaimo, British Columbia on Vancouver Island, uh, where I am right now. Um, but previously I had gone to uh, another 
12 or non 12 step treatment uh, facility in Powell River, which is a uh, small town relatively close to where I'm at right now. But this was in my mid 20s. I'm now in my mid 30s. And uh, in my mid 20s, I tried to clean up. Um, but I was so opposed to the idea of spirituality or uh, the word God, uh, which I am not today. Um, I would like to mention that, but uh, that I sought a non 12 step uh, based recovery program. And so what happened is when I got out, I mean, the programming was good. I went in, uh, there were, you know, physical education, uh, things like that to get us healthy, eating better. Um, some, maybe some low level spiritual aspects uh, to it as well. Uh, but when I got out, there was no aftercare, there was no recovery. And so I, um, I didn't partake in 12 step fellowship meetings. I didn't get a sponsor. I was still uh, somewhat bigoted towards spiritual principles. The word God still scared the crap out of me. And um, I didn't develop, uh, you know, a network of uh, positive people that I could uh, call for help, reach out to, and in turn, uh, give myself back to the community to help them either. Um, I just tried to go at it for my, myself. I uh, remained abstinent from substances for two and a half years, but the whole time I was just white knuckling it. I wasn't actually out there living. I was just existing. And so you, your adversity to, to a spiritual life, as we like to call it, um, higher power, when you pick, when, how old were you when you first used? So I was, um, I was about 13 uh, the first time. It started with, uh, with marijuana and alcohol at about that age. And um, right away, I recognized the powerlessness. Uh, I was the first one to start using uh, the last one to put my substances down and uh, the one feeling the worst the next day, but the one uh, most eager to get back at it. And so right there, that's, uh, that's the admission of powerlessness. I was always able to recognize that, but uh, my situation was not unmanageable yet. So I was in school. I had a family whose home I lived in. Both parents were still around. Um, I grew up with a uh, older sister as well. I had friends. Uh, later on in my teenage years, I always held down a job. And as long as I had those things, I couldn't recognize the unmanageability, right? Because um, it, never, it never dawned on me that uh, when I was waking up and doing damage control every morning on the night before, or at least in the early days, every uh, Saturday and Sunday on the weekend when I wasn't in school, um, losing friends, saying things that I shouldn't have been saying, um, that to me wasn't... Uh, enough I, that wasn't unmanageable enough for me to get it get it through my head that I needed to stop doing it um, I just thought it would be a phase right like I go through my teenage years and um, and eventually I just you know grow up and be able to uh, use responsibly but it never happened and uh, going back to the uh, um, the lack of uh, spiritual principles in my life I did grow up in an atheist home um, my parents uh, were not bigoted towards religion in any way um, but I never grew up with it. And uh, today I identify as being an agnostic. Um, but uh, how it worked for me is like, I, you know, I fought getting into the program for years and years, and I would be able to look in on a 12 step fellowship meeting. And it didn't matter that the people were happy and smiling and they had friends and they had careers and they had saved themselves uh, through the program of uh, Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or whichever anonymous it was. It didn't matter that they were happy and had saved themselves. I would look in and think, huh, my way's better, right? I would just absolutely scoff at it. Um, but how can I scoff at something that seems to be working for them when, uh, you know, in contrast, my life is jail, uh, misery, and uh, just general unhappiness. 
Um, but still, that's how, uh, you know, willful I was. I was just living it my own way and not taking uh, any, any instruction from anybody else. And so I thought, huh, maybe there is something to these spiritual principles, right? And so once I started um, opening my mind and going to these meetings and uh, linking in with the community here, uh, specifically in Nanaimo in this last stint of uh, recovery, I realized, you know, uh, the 12-step fellowship and the power of human connectivity itself is my higher power to this day. And I also, you know, like I think about the Big Bang theory, and um, I always think like if it's just a, a swirling mass of heat and chemicals that was created out of nothingness, well, what's nothingness and who put them there? So uh, to these days, I, or uh, to this day, and uh, these days, I am a little bit more open to uh, everybody else's spirituality. It doesn't matter, you know, um, the God of his or her own understanding to my left or right. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. We're all there working for a common purpose of helping each other stay uh, clean and sober. It's that, you know what I keep hearing? Willingness, right? Yeah. yeah. That whole yeah. willingness. You're like, they're all happy over there. I don't know what they're, why they are, but I, I kind of want a little bit of that. It looks kind of nice, doesn't it? Totally, yeah. It's just like the, um, we have to go to any, and all lengths uh, in order to uh, stay clean and sober. And I, um, I just wasn't willing to do it at first. I thought, you know, I would go to uh, that, that treatment facility that I went to in my uh, mid-20s. I thought that I would go uh, for, you know, a month or two, and I would, like, get off the substances. I would detox, and then I'd go back out there and live every other aspect of my life the exact same way. Uh, there was no inclination for me to get into meetings or make new friends who uh, lived in a different way. Uh, and being a hip hop artist, um, that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, common, common way that I was living included being in bars and nightclubs, uh, you know, a couple nights a week. And so not only was I not linking in with the recovery community, um, I was still going into bars and nightclubs, like, you know, at least once a week. Uh, just white knuckling it through um, through the turmoil, uh, which is a nightclub, right? And so I actually have a song about that. It's called Clubs and Drugs. That's about trying to re remain um, abstinent from substances while performing in uh, bars and nightclubs. So um, I have touched on that in my music a little bit. But, uh, you know, sooner or later, um, if we're at an Italian restaurant, we're going to eat Italian food. And um, without that, uh, that solid foundation of recovery outside of that whole uh, network of uh, which is my music network um, it was only a matter of time before it got me to and so um, this time around I've gotten out and I've gotten back to making music and I do perform in bars and nightclubs and things like that I mean um, as much as I can with the, the restrictions in place right now um, but uh, when I leave I know that I have my recovery community to go back to the next day and that accountability is uh, is a big reminder of why I'm uh, why I'm still trying to remain uh, abstinent from substances. Well, it's hard because if you think about it, it's like sex, booze, and rock and roll, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? They all, like, it's like it all comes together. But it's interesting because there's a lot of people that are in, that you're creative, right? You're an artist. So people think artist and it's just associated with drugs and alcohol, right? Because, or weed or whatever it is. And getting to that place where you're still able to be creative but knowing you can walk into these places where you need to perform because that's where people go to listen to you, right? You aren't going to go, you know, you're not going to get people to go meet you in a park or, I mean, I guess they would, but you know what I mean? It's like the place where you go is a club, right? Get people dancing. 
Well, for the record, I've done some pretty good shows in parks, uh, more so in the <laughs> early days, but um, that might be what I have to go back to right now if they uh, tighten the restrictions anymore, but we'll cover that uh, in the future. I'll uh, take it as it comes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a myth that uh, we need uh, substances to create, or at least it is for me, and I would hope that that's how it is for other people. But um, I used to think the same thing. Uh, writing came with, with a joint or uh, making a beat came with a beer in front of me. Like, uh, you know, it, eventually, though, I, I was drinking or smoking so much that I couldn't create anything anyway. And it's been, um, it's been a stark uh, realization uh, coming out uh, into the recovery community. I'm actually more inspired to create now than I was before when I was using those substances that I used as a crutch to create. Right. So how's that for a paradigm? It's just um, it wasn't what I needed. What I needed was actually a clear mind and, um, and a positive attitude, uh, which didn't come with uh, with using substances. So I used to say the same thing. I used to say that I wouldn't be able to create without my marijuana or my alcohol or uh, cocaine or whatever it was. And uh, it just it was a myth. Um, when I've now that I've started creating um, uh, with a recover with a mindset of recovery, um, it's just more positive. Uh, my genuine personality is coming out in my songs a little bit more. Uh, the last record that I released is largely recovery based because I wrote it uh, partially while I was uh, clean the last time I tried to clean up, and partially while I was in the grips of my uh, disease after having relapsed. And so it is largely recovery based, but. Um, yeah, this one's a lot different just because I have written it uh, with a clear mind and, uh, you know, with a solid network of people in recovery. And I wondered, is it fear, like when you're going to go and I mean, think like for me, at least sometimes I go and I walk, I even listen to my podcast. I'm like, oh, you know, it's your ego kind of, you're just like, oh, is my music that good? And how am I going to get up there? And because it's sharing a piece of you, right? It's becoming vulnerable by getting up and performing in a way, isn't it? It is, yeah. So um, not just the performance, but even just sharing music with others. It is, uh, you know, a huge, uh, there's a huge uh, vulnerability, vulnerability, vulnerability factor there. So um, when I share a song with somebody and it is about recovery, I put it out to my recovery community and it's nice to receive the validation that my songs have helped them through their struggles. And um, I hear that stuff all the time. And um it's like sharing in a meeting, you know, that's why I go there. I put my problems out uh, to the public and then uh, receive uh, the validation back that I'm not the only one struggling with said problems. And that is a reason to keep going into the rooms when it's like, you know, I'm not as terrible as I thought I was. Uh, these things that I'm talking about aren't things that are, uh, you know, specific to me. There are things that other people uh, in my recovery community have struggled with too. And uh, we're, all, we're all there together. Social anxiety is a huge one for me. Um, so when I started going to meetings, I sat there, you know, quiet as a mouse and would shake when I, when it was time to speak. Uh, now it's no problem because when I go in there, I think about the, you know, the fact that every single other person in there, uh, give or take, has uh, struggled with the same feelings of social anxiety. And um, same thing with music, you know, when I put it out there that I had a strained family relationship on a track like Am I Good Enough? Um, well, I know that there's, you know, millions of people out there who have struggled with the same things uh, within their family structures. So uh, that's a big benefit of uh, creating recovery-based music to me is it's like a meeting on a piece of paper. You know what I mean? I put down the same things that I would talk about in a meeting and then I uh, hear back from the same people that I would hear back from at said meeting. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, it's double-edged uh, creativity for me. It's a good outlet to get these thoughts out uh, in the open. Uh, but it's also good for other people to receive that same validation that I've uh, just spoken about. 
Yeah, so they don't feel alone, right? Nobody wants to feel alone. And yeah. tell me this, were you always musically inclined since you were younger? Or like, did you grow up playing music? I mean, was this something you always aspired to? You know, some little boys want to be a fireman or whatever. Did you always want to get into music? And what led you to the music life? So I've always been um, a huge fan of music. It started with 80s pop music. Um, my parents actually gave me these two tapes. It was Rock 85 and Rock 86. And they were like the... Um, they're like, you know, the hits, the, the one hit wonders and stuff like that from those two years. And I just used to put those tapes on. They were cassette tapes back in that, those days. If we have any young listeners out there, they might not know what uh, those are, but that's okay. Um, but I used to just put them on repeat and I listened to those tapes until they were unlistenable because, you know, you know how you wear out tapes. You don't wear out uh, MP3s these days, but we did wear out our tapes back in the day. And um me and my sister actually started doing mock radio shows where we would like introduce the songs and we would record it. And we would do like mock interviews with like fake guests and stuff like that and read like short stories. And um, so it actually started as I, I started as a mock radio personality when I was, you know, in my preteens. And um, when I discovered hip hop, I started writing it right away. <clears throat> I had a friend of mine uh, in my foods class, uh, home econom uh, economics in um, in junior high school, and we used to write uh, we used to write rap songs uh, just for fun when we probably should have been listening to what the teacher was sa was saying. But um, and it just uh, you know it grew from there. Those were the roots of uh, my uh, my music and uh, and how I started to create, and it just developed over the years. So. Uh, writing rhymes just to pass the time in class, uh, you know, developed into writing actual full-length songs with choruses and intros and not just, you know, uh, lyrics, uh, nonsensical lyrics with no structure or anything, but they were actual full songs now. Um, and then I started, you know, finding uh, hip-hop instrumentals that were original rather than just like rapping over industry beats with friends at parties. I would be, you know, actually looking to create my songs and then eventually I got into the studio uh, when I moved over to Vancouver, because um, I'm on like a small island right now, or not re relatively large island, small population, I moved over to Vancouver and immersed myself in the hip hop scene there. Uh, started recording in the studio, started getting on some shows in the big city, and and um, eventually went to audio engineering and production school where I learned how to make my own beats. Uh, I learned to engineer my own music and um, produced uh, my last record uh, entirely by myself, save for. Uh, one instrumental that was uh, that was produced by my late friend uh, Dylan Sterling, may he rest in peace. And it's actually uh, my favorite beat on the entire album, actually. So I made uh, made or co-produced uh, five of them. Four were mine. One was uh, co-production with another friend of mine who's uh, currently living in Hawaii. Uh, goes by the name of Dead Giveaway. And then the sixth one, my favorite, was produced by uh, my friend Dylan, who is no longer with us. Mm. Did he pass away due to drugs and alcohol? It was, um, it was definitely related. Yeah, for sure. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, it was uh, definitely related to, uh, to addiction. Yeah, it's such, it's so scary. Well, for one, I love the fact that your parents probably had no idea when they were giving you those cassette tapes that, oh my gosh, that's what he's going to end up doing when he's older. That's amazing. I love 80s music, by the way. And I love, I can just, I just envisioned you and your sister like sitting there like with your tape, like Mike and making up shows. That must have been so much fun. It was, yeah. There's some of my more positive uh, memories from childhood is just like the, you know, the introductions that we used to do. And um, I had this like 
I don't know, book of ghost stories. And for some reason that was like one of the episodes was just me reading the ghost stories out. And I think I even wrote, I possibly wrote a ghost story and uh, read it out on this radio show. It, was, it wouldn't have been a very popular radio show because it was pretty much all over the place. There were ghost stories and mock interviews and then 80s pop music. That was about it. Maybe some sports talk. We were huge uh, hockey fans growing up and I still am to this day. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't think it would have been the most popular radio show, but uh, the root of creativity for sure. That's uh, definitely something that I can attribute to those radio shows is uh, that's where it started from. So yeah, I've always, I've always loved music. I used to just dance around um, me and a friend of mine actually um, did a mock play to uh, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen actually when I was, uh, when I was really young as well. We like you know, just listened to the lyrics and then made like a like a production out of it and then performed it for my mom. This was when I was pretty young. So yeah, that's another thing. Um, I just remembered that actually. And yeah, just, uh, you know, certainly influenced by music from an early age, but I didn't start actually creating it until I was in my teens. And um, most of my good stuff has come out of uh, having been released since I've just uh, stepped into the recovery community this time around. And so now here you are and you're living in a recovery and how have you been there for all COVID and everything? Is that, have you been in this recovery house the whole time? Yeah. So I went through uh, Edgman, uh, Edgewood uh, treatment facility here in Nanaimo uh, from uh, May to uh, September of last year. I actually, my arrest happened in April. So I spent uh, just a month in uh, Wilkinson prison before going into treatment, but um, so I was in uh, treatment from May to September, including their extended care program, uh, which I was in for two months, uh, which is like a second stage. You know, I'm allowed to go out a little bit. I was on uh, house arrest for the duration of my stay there, but I uh, could still get permission to be out with staff and things like that. So um, kind of second stage, you know, where you're not just locked down in the facility. Well, not locked down. They don't actually physically lock you inside because they can't do that. Um, but, um, you know, where I have to remain on the premises. I was allowed to foray out into the community a little bit. And um, then I went into a third stage house after my uh, three and a half months in uh, treatment. And I'm now living in a new, bigger uh, third stage house that, um, that my personality gels with uh, the house owner and uh, the people who live in the house a lot more than it did in my last one. Um, there was some uh, some conflicts a little bit, and so I ended up moving down here, not to say that there was anything wrong with that place or anything. It was uh, just a clash of personalities. So now I'm in uh, a place called Victory Lodge. Uh, it's awesome. It's operated by a guy named Pat, who I really like, and uh, I like the other guys in the house as well. And uh, yeah, it's been going really well. And um, just coincidentally, I, I guess it's probably not a coincidence, maybe a coincidence that I'm living here, but it's actually situated right next to the treatment facility that I just went through. So. Uh, that's a nice reminder. I can pretty much see it from my porch. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? And staying through that conflict, because I know sometimes when we're living in places where it feels uncomfortable, and unfortunately because of the disease that we have, it's like all we go and we pick up, right? Because it feels so uncomfortable. So cheers to you for making it through and getting to another place and figuring out a way to be like, all right, I can't stay here, but I have to stay on this path. And what am I going to do? So that's Thank amazing. You. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge because I think that staying, you know, you did say it's death institutions jail and having a dear friend pass away is like such a reminder that it's like, okay, why am I here? Why did I get to be the lucky one to get this second chance really? For sure. And um, thinking about that, they're busy. Um, I, uh, I, 
I could have looked at my life before, uh, before jail and um, going into the treatment center and been unhappy with every facet of it. And I'm currently just out on, on bail right now. And I'm uh, awaiting a trial that who knows where that's going to go. Um, and I, you know, I'm happier than I was without that looming uh, court case uh, in the distance of my life. So uh, that goes to show how strong the recovery uh, community is because I'm in a more positive place than when that wasn't a prospect in the future. Um, the only thing that was a prospect in the future was the prospect of uh, death, um, you know, institutions and jails. Well, there's still like a looming court case, but I have things that I'm happy about in my life. Um, I've reforged a relationship with my mother. Um, I've, uh, you know, gotten my, uh, my job back. I have a day job as well as being a hip hop artist. Um, so I've been working that and uh, excelling at it at a very high level. Um, I have friends in the recovery community. I play, uh, you know, uh, sober, uh, slow pitch softball, uh, which is something that I played. I played on a team when I was a kid and uh, thought that I'd never, never do that again. So um, there are these positive things. There's enough positives that, you know, this huge negative that, um, that uh, started in my, my disease, which is my legal battle right now, um, isn't really that big of a deal because I have all of these positive things. Whereas before, when I didn't have that legal battle, um, I had nothing, nothing to be happy about. And so my life was worse. So that just goes to show it doesn't matter what comes up in our life. And as we uh, walk through uh, recovery, uh, we can deal with it if we have those positive influences in, in our life, right? I can talk about them in, you know, uh, a, a venue such as this uh, Zoom interview uh, for a positive podcast or go to, a, go to a meeting or call my sponsor or whatever, right? But I didn't have those avenues before because I chose to not have them. And so it didn't matter if there was no legal troubles or anything like that. Uh, my life wasn't, wasn't overly positive. I didn't like the person I saw in the mirror when I woke up. Um, I didn't have uh, slow pitch softball. I wasn't doing well at my job. My relationship with my family was strained. Um, since preparing all those things, you know, I feel like I can walk through life and face whatever and conquer it with, uh, with all those positive things in my corner. Well, it sounds like you've been working a program, right? Because when you work this program, as hard as it is, it's easy. And you get so many rewards from it, just putting a little bit of effort into it, you get into action and you're like, oh my gosh, I no longer regret, regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. it. It's like you just described that. Like you're like, it doesn't matter what's coming down the pike. I know today I have this life that's beyond my wildest dreams. Like I have all these amazing, like the things that you just like having that relationship with your mom, that's like worth, I mean, all of it is so amazing because they're all things that aren't, it has nothing to do with money, right? It has nothing to do with material. It's all in the heart, right? It's just having a relationship with it, which is kind of like the spirituality that we get from being sober, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, that working a solid program is key for sure. I, uh, in my first year, I worked a full set of steps. Um, I did land an amazing sponsor. <clears throat> Pardon me. I uh, took up a service position in the community, so I'm the group service representative for uh, a noon meeting here in uh, Nanaimo, where I'm currently situated. And um, all of those things, um, you know, equate to me working a solid program. Uh, once I got through the 12 steps, um, I threw my uh, hat back in the ring for uh, sponsoring other people. Um, I help anybody out if they hit me up, you know, via uh, social media or if they hit me up via text message or give me a call or whatever. I'm always there to listen to them uh, because I know that early in my recovery, uh, all, of, all of the people uh, who are out there would have helped me as well. 
Um, I don't drive um, because of a uh, legal thing that happened a long time ago and just being shell-shocked after too many car accidents. Uh, currently, that's changing. I have a dr uh, driving uh, test uh, scheduled for January, and I'm going to uh, try to take a seat in the driver's seat once again. But all those people that came to the treatment facility and picked me up to take me out to outside meetings, um, all the people that answered their phone, um, I give back in that manner as well, right? Other than the driving, that's why I mentioned that. That probably sounded a little bit awkward the way that I threw it in there. But um, yeah, I uh, try to give back as much as possible because I know in turn that um, the community has given me so much that I have to uh, provide it with uh, myself because uh, that's the 12th step. Well, that's what it's all about. I love, and it, you, you weren't awkward at all, by the way, about driving. <laughs> yeah. I totally get Thank it. There's so many people who are, you know, we come in here, we don't come in here because life is so grand, right? We come in here because something happened. And mm -hmm. I think we don't, but we don't want that to be our defining thing about our life, right? It's just like you, you have this other hurdle and you're like, I'm going to get over it. I, it might be in January, but it might not. It might be down the road. Who knows? But you're giving back and that's where the like the magic happens right and thinking i'm sure that first time at least for me when um we I, you know somebody was like i need a ride and i'm like i'll give you a ride and they were like what and you think oh my gosh this stranger is going to go out of their way and come and pick me up they don't even know me it was unbelievable to me because when i was in my uh, active use i was so isolated that i never i never would have reached out to, to anyone to help me at all for any reason um i was just you know uh, self-will was uh, was what governed my life and I never would have said well I can't get to this meeting today and then surrendered and picked up the phone and phoned somebody uh, even a friend let alone a stranger and uh, now I you know I get into early recovery and I have all these meeting lists and it's like okay why do I have these again and so I just started calling names off them and uh, sure enough it was most people were willing to come either pick me up or go for coffee or whatever it was and uh, it was amazing, you know, after living in uh, isolated drug use and uh, substance abuse for that many years, uh, to see the benevolence of the community itself. And, um, and that, that's uh, the most welcoming thing, you know, um, that, that I can attribute to it uh, is just how, um, you know, how benevolent it is. And if that doesn't make people come, keep coming back, then I don't, I don't know what would, right? Exactly, exactly. Now, I want to go back to your music really quick. And yep. so you have been doing your music and you're doing it on, you're doing it part-time with your regular job and you have an album out. And if people, I'm going to have some links to your songs, I think with the podcast so people can hear that. And I have to say, I think that you going out is kind of doing what I do. Like you putting your music out there is helping people because no one wants to feel alone. Right. Cause when we have this disease, we don't think anybody else will get it. Nobody's going to really love me because I'm I'm a piece of you know what and having that out there I mean I just want to say thank you so much for doing that and making yourself you know vulnerable it is truly vulnerable to share that with people but you're helping I can hear it in your voice I can hear how committed you are it's just amazing it's amazing thanks busy I really appreciate that and uh, same back in your direction as well um, you know there needs to be more uh, positive recovery related podcasts like the one that you uh, facilitate here because uh, this is an avenue not only for uh, uh, people such as myself, artists and, um, you know, intellectuals and uh, whoever uh, might appear as a guest uh, to, you know, spread our message, um, but also, an, uh, you know, a stream where um, listeners uh, who might not, you know, know where to look for a positive message can also pick that, pick that out of the airwaves and 
um, off of the, uh, you know, the bandwidth, uh, which is the internet, and um, maybe then in turn relay it to somebody else, right? So uh, there needs to be more um, outlets like this because, yeah, these are, um, you know, every bit as good as uh, attending a meeting in my my opinion, um, you know, meetings are great, um, but recovery podcasts and uh, recovery-based uh, art is uh, great as well. It's amazing because I think it helps us all be like, oh my God, this person, like you just went out there and you put, you shared your heart and you shared your soul and what's really going on with you because we can all relate to that. I mean, even the story of you saying, I asked somebody for a ride. I mean, I know for men, I think it's some... I, and, and now I'm not, you can say I'm generalizing here, but I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if you're going to, I'll see what you say to this. So when you go to ask somebody to be your sponsor and you mentioned, I, I lucked out with like the most amazing sponsor. And I see men when you're like, oh my gosh, you've got to go ask this guy to be your sponsor. And guys are like, what? Like this is, weird. you know what I mean? Like going, cause asking even for directions is hard for men. So was it hard for you to go to this gentleman that is now like your rock star person in your life? Was it hard when you asked him originally? Yeah, I mean, the concept for most uh, men of asking a, a strange man out for coffee is a little bit, uh, little bit intimidating. But um, I'd been going to actually the meeting that, uh, that I met my sponsor at for quite some time, and I already knew him on a personal level. And um, I, didn't, uh, I looked around for a sponsor a bit. I uh, tested the waters with uh, quite a few that uh, didn't work out. And uh, for whatever reason, not not uh, to say anything negative about their character or anything like that. It just wasn't a good fit. Um, and I had known uh, this guy for a while. His shares were good at meetings. He was uh, doing, uh, he was, he had taken up a service position at his meeting. And um, it actually, for me, it wasn't that big of a deal just because I had been in that meeting for, you know, quite a few, uh, quite a few shares of his and had talked to him quite a bit already. So, but I do understand how, um, how intimidating that can be because, uh, that's a very detrimental concept uh, for men in the in today's day and age, um, and just going going way back as well. Is uh, men aren't aren't supposed to ask for help? You know what I mean? It's not really like that. Um, we all need help sometimes, and there's no problem asking for it. But uh, to be self sufficient uh, is this uh, is ideology that um, you know not always the best ideology to live by. I don't think so. Definitely not. So tell me this, do you have a YouTube channel? I do, yeah. So it's youtube.com slash music. So I-double-L-T-O-N-E music.com. Awesome. Sorry, youtube.com slash music. No .com at the end. But yeah, I-double-L-T-O-N-E-M-U-S-I-C. Okay, and I'm going to have that link on here as well. And one, and are you on, are you on, do you have your music? Is it on Spotify and all of that as well? Yeah, you can search Ill Tone on Spotify, and uh, there's a little icon on the top right-hand side of the screen that says follow, and you can uh, follow me on there. You'll receive uh, news and uh, updates about upcoming releases, uh, all that jazz, and uh, also on Instagram, instagram.com slash music, same handle as YouTube, and facebook.com slash music, where I am uh, fairly active these days. Well, Ill Tone, it was so nice having you on. It was I nice chatting with you too, Busy. I really, come back, let us know. I, I, I kind of want to hear what happens with the court case. So you're going to have to reach out to us again and tell us what happened. I think it's going to be, I think whatever's going to happen is going to be, I think I, I think it's just going to be another, you know, step for you to go. It's just going to be me. I just feel it. I don't know. It's you're doing all this great stuff and keep it up because it is, this life is beyond our wildest dreams, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's much better than uh, the alternative. That's for sure. 
Yeah, you just, I can see it in your eyes, even though we're on a screen, you just, you look really happy. And I love to see that because, you know, we aren't a glum lot, are we? We are not. No, there's still uh, music, creativity, uh, you know, friends and family uh, in, in recovery as well. It's not just, uh, it's not a myth. It does get a lot better and you just got to take it one day at a time. Exactly. Oh, with that, we're going to go. But thank you so much. And everybody, until next time, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.